Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 23. As we continue to work through our summer series, just going through various psalms. I'm sure many of you have been, uh, at the very least, trying to keep up with our summer psalms reading. Um, and I think we're, we're a bit behind in terms of the ones that we're preaching on now, but it's been a joy to go through this book and to really see uh, the, the depth of emotion, right? The, the fact that our faith is not just intellectual, but it's emotional, that we have a relationship with our God. And we get to see that in a special way, and actually just out of curiosity, how many of you have memorized Psalm 23 at some point in your lives? Because this is one of those, yeah, exactly. This is one of those psalms this morning. So I'll be reading from Psalm 23. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, I had a bit of an interesting week as I was preparing for this one. Normally, I aim to have my sermon pretty well done by like Friday at lunch so that I kind of can think through Friday, Saturday, make sure there's any, not any last adjustments I want to make. Um, but I was ahead of schedule this week. And so it was looking like I was going to be completely done by the end of the day on Thursday, which was really exciting. Um, And so I was working on it, and at 2.30, I kind of got stuck. So 2.30 on Thursday afternoon, I'm like halfway done writing the whole thing. And so I paused to just kind of reread through it and kind of figure out if that would help me break through the writer's block that I was having. Uh, And I ended up throwing out the entire thing. Uh, Because the, the job of a preacher is to say what the text says, right? We're not trying to be creative or innovative. I want to lay the Bible before you and let it speak for itself. What I had done is I had taken a beautiful psalm about how God cares for his sheep and turned it into a sermon challenging us to act more like sheep. But that's not what the text says. So I had to throw everything out and try again. So I tell you that this morning so that we come into this sermon with the same goal. I don't plan to send you out this morning with any specific application for this week. Though, the Holy Spirit might use this text in some way to point things to you. Don't don't ignore him. (laughs) Listen if he does that, but that's not my goal. My goal is just that we as Christians would take the next 45 minutes and simply hear and rejoice in our God's great care and love for us. And so as we do that this morning... We're going to see that that Psalm 23 shows us those things by using two images. The first is the image of the Lord as a shepherd. That's in verses 1 to 4. And the second image is that of the Lord as a host in verses 5 and 6. And so we'll begin then by looking at those first four verses. I'll just read them again for you here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, 
they comfort me. So the first thing that you've probably noticed is that Psalm 23 is an extremely personal psalm. David begins by referring to God as Yahweh. That's, that's the word there behind the capital L-O-R-D. We've talked about that a few times throughout this series. That is the personal name of God that he gave to his people. And then David uses personal pronouns all the way through. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me. This psalm is not just true in general. If you are a Christian here this morning, this psalm is true of you. Yes, God absolutely is the shepherd of his people in general, but he is your shepherd. To God, you are not a a nameless, faceless sheep who just gets lost in the flock. He knows and shepherds you. You have to keep that in mind this morning as we see the beautiful realities that this psalm offers us. The second thing that you probably noticed is that David is evoking some very specific imagery, that Yahweh is his shepherd which would make David, and by extension us, sheep. So this psalm also has to humble us this morning. Because sheep are helpless. They're really easy prey for predators. They're they're unable to defend themselves in any way. If they get attacked, they're dead. That's just how it goes. They can't help the shepherd. They, They can't really offer the shepherd anything in return. They're just sheep. They're just there. They need a committed and capable shepherd. And David will make clear that that is undoubtedly what God is for his people. So in these first four verses, we see five comforting realities for Christians. Here are the five. The Lord provides all that his sheep need. The Lord gives rest to his sheep. The Lord leads his sheep on righteous paths for his glory. The Lord emboldens his sheep, and the Lord comforts his sheep through guarding and guidance. So firstly, the Lord provides all that his sheep need. The the first line of this psalm, it's it's just logic. That's all it is. You, You might as well have put the word therefore right in the middle of it. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. Ooh, you okay? Good. We don't know when David wrote this psalm, but, but as we think through his life, we see that at almost any time when he would have written this, it, it could have meant slightly different things to him. You know, David grew up as, as a shepherd boy whose own father didn't think that he was worth bringing around when Samuel was going to anoint one of his sons to be the next king. Didn't even think David had a shot, wasn't going to bring him in. David went out to fight Goliath, this giant with a, a sling and some stones, David lived in the king's palace, and the king tried to pin him to a wall with a spear. David lived a lot of his life on the run as a fugitive from that king who was seeking his life. David also reigned as the king of Israel over a successful, rich kingdom. We, of course, know the story when David sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and and was undone in guilt over what he had done. But he also came to his final days resting, knowing that his son Solomon would reign in his place and build the temple that, God, that David had dreamed of building for God. So, so David lived a life. There was a lot that happened to this man, but he evidently knew that whether he was a wanted fugitive or a wealthy king, it was not his circumstances that met his need. It was his God. Right? He doesn't say, I am rich and the Lord is my shepherd, so I shall not want. 
or the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want as long as he brings me through this trial unscathed. David was simply satisfied with the reality that God was a shepherd who would not leave him without everything that was good for him. And church, this is a promise for us today. Psalm 84, 11 says, The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Our God, in his perfect wisdom, will not let us lack one good thing that we need. He's a shepherd who knows and deeply cares. He's not a miser, right? He's not just aiming to give the least that he possibly can. Rather, with perfect knowledge of the future, he provides for you day by day, moment by moment, with all that you need to bring you to your greatest good. Sometimes we're not going to see how that's happening, right? It may seem to us like we are lacking something that we need, but I promise you, I promise you that God will not fail you. If he is your shepherd, you will lack nothing that you need for your ultimate good. The second thing that we see is that the Lord gives rest to his sheep. David's words build a really beautiful picture for us, right? Green pastures, not not brown ones, not kind of rocky soil where the sheep have to hunt down what little grass they can find. It says he leads us beside still waters, not rushing rapids that if, you know, we fall in, it would take our lives. And then maybe most beautifully, he says that God restores our souls. He doesn't expect us to do that ourselves. He nurses us back to health and life. This beautiful language draws us to the reality that for his sheep, God provides peace and rest. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I need that. The world is so busy. We live in a culture that constantly calls us to do more, and more. Finish this, buy that, earn this, be like that. Smartphones dinging with hundreds of notifications a day that demand our attention. Deadlines, emails, meetings, appointments. Depending on your stage of life, I mean, you can add to that school assignments, trying to climb the corporate ladder, kids, grandkids, all of these different things. But if you take a step out of the chaos for a moment and reflect, do you not see that your soul needs rest? God did not make us infinite. He made us limited on purpose. We aren't capable of constantly living at full speed. But again, if you're anything like me, you probably try to find rest from the weariness in the wrong places. We might turn to to binging Netflix or or many hours sunk into a video game or or building or fixing things around the house because we like working with our hands. Things that are good in moderation but, but can never truly restore our souls. Or we might turn to more destructive things, trying to find relief from the grind of life in pornography or drugs or the use of too much alcohol. All the while, our good shepherd stands ready to give us rest, to restore our souls that we could never restore ourselves. Christian, your shepherd will give you rest. He will restore your soul, and he doesn't demand anything from you in order to do that. 
He just wants you to draw near. Right? We, we find that rest as we spend time in God's word, as we spend time in, in personal prayer and corporate prayer, as we're gathered with believers on Sunday morning, as we sing together, as we hear from God's word together. We find that restoration as we meditate on God's glory and beauty in creation. We go outside and see the world that he has made for us. We might find that rest in having spiritual conversations with other believers. It can come in so many different ways. But we can be confident that God will be our resting place. That he will restore our souls. The third thing that we see here in Psalm 23, is that the Lord leads his sheep on righteous paths for his glory. I think it's really good news that the Lord leads us in righteousness. You know, he he wasn't required to give us his word. He wasn't. God is not forced to do anything. He wasn't required to tell us what behaviors were sinful and, and how to be freed from our sin and to find salvation. He didn't have to do any of that. But God has been so gracious to show us what the righteous paths are. The the ones that lead to flourishing rather than destruction. The ones that lead to life rather than death. And he doesn't just draw us a map and expect us to figure it out from there. He leads us. Church, your holiness does not come from you. As you battle against sin certainly aware of your own failings and shortcomings, seeing the places, these these struggles that you just cannot seem to beat. God has not commanded us to battle it in our own strength, but he has given us the Holy Spirit by whom we can truly defeat sin. He hasn't left us alone in the battle. He hasn't left us alone to try to figure out how to best live. Rather, he's given us both the instructions through his word and the empowerment through his spirit. And he has done that, David says, for his name's sake, for his glory. We see again and again in scripture that God's primary motivation for all that he does is his own glory. Now this is good news, and I'm sure it it, it strikes our modern ears almost as a negative thing, that that God's main goal would be his glory. Um, If you want more reasons, if you want me to defend that more to you in person, I'd be happy to do that. I'm just going to give you one reason why this is good news this morning. Because it is another guarantee that God is going to do what he says he is going to do. Because if God promised to lead us in righteousness, but then failed to do it, people could rightly say that he is a God who doesn't keep his promises. Unbelievers would be able to defame God, saying that he doesn't do the things he says he is going to do. But God will not let that happen. If he says he will do it, he's going to do it. So if he says he will lead you in righteousness, he is going to do it for his name's sake. He will do it so that people rightly glorify him for who he is. The fourth thing we see in these first verses is that the Lord emboldens his sheep, even in the darkest valleys, no matter the circumstances. We have to notice at the start of verse 4, the valleys are real, right? David doesn't say, even when it seems like I'm in dark valleys, it's not like he looks at God's provision and then just assumes that all of his trials are like fake, they're imaginary, they're, they're things kind of of his own creation. Rather, he sees that, that even in light 
of God's provision, we will still face trials. We will go through dark valleys of the shadow of death. We have real enemies. Historically, the Christian church has identified three main ones. We are up against the world. Unbelievers who who want to tear down the truth of our God, who oppose us, who, especially in centuries past and in countries today around the world, actively persecute, hunt down, kill Christians. We battle against the world. We also battle against our own flesh, our sinful nature, our sinful desires that want to destroy us. In many ways, our own worst enemy is ourselves. And we battle against the devil, the the enemy of God's people, this one who, who is a lion, who wants to devour sheep. It's his favorite thing to do is to try to take out those who follow the Lord. But church, we need not fear. Not because we are strong or or because we are brave or because we are able to bear up under any of those trials, but because we are sheep who have a good shepherd. There's something really interesting about the word shepherd throughout the Old Testament. When it is used metaphorically, like it's being used here in Psalm 23, it almost always refers to leaders and kings. This is helpful. This actually really fills out the image of what David is saying in Psalm 23. This is not the picture, like, God is not some, like, impotent shepherd boy who is just trying his best, right? Like, sometimes shepherds lose sheep. Sometimes a wolf comes and, ta- and they can't stop it. But, but the picture that David is, is giving is not that, because shepherds often refer to leaders and kings. We, we see that, that God is both shepherd and sovereign, that he's both caretaker and king, that he's both pastor and prince. He's not simply a shepherd. He is a shepherd king. And when the king is with you, what is there to fear? This is closely related to the fifth point in these first four verses, and that's that the Lord comforts his sheep through guarding and guidance. David uses the image of two different shepherd's tools. So the first is the rod. Literally, this is a big stick. It's a big stick made of wood or metal, and it's used for beating back predators and thieves who try to steal the sheep. Another really prevalent biblical image is God as a warrior who fights for his people. Christian, you can be sure that whatever battles you face, you do not face alone. And whatever victory you have has not come from your hand. In every trial, we are the sheep, (laughs) the helpless little sheep. Enemies and threats rise around us, and we have no means of defense. But God is our shepherd warrior. He will wield the rod on our behalf and ensure that we share in his victory. We may not understand how the outcome that we are seeing is victory, but God does, and we can trust that he has acted on our behalf. So that's the first tool, the shepherd's rod, and the second is the shepherd's staff. You all probably have this image in your head, right? The the tall staff with the little hook on the end. And and that hook was used for for drawing back straying sheep. If they were wandering too close to the edge of a hill or, or towards something that was dangerous, the shepherd could hook the sheep and just nicely pull them back. You see how that image applies to you? As you stray into sin and the Lord just pulls you back. And, and sometimes, you know, it's just a gentle redirection. Just 
you know, a little, little bit of a pull. Uh, and sometimes we're really stubborn and it requires a bit of yanking, but, but we eventually get the point. But either way, whether it's the gentle correction or, or the, the tugging, the Lord's discipline is a sweet thing. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, oh boy, I just pulled my tab out. This might take me a second to find now. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, and I want to read this whole section because it's really, it's, it's beautiful. This is the picture of how the Lord keeps us, how he draws us back from sin. And the author of Hebrews writes, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So he's saying, consider Jesus, the one who endured hardship for your sake, so that you might be sustained and not grow weary. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Our God loves and cares for us enough to not let us destroy ourselves in sin. He will bring us back. When his sheep stray, he will pull out his staff and he will get them back into the flock. But there's a really key distinction here. God disciplines his sheep, but he never punishes them. It breaks my heart, and I, I hear this often enough that it's concerning to me. I hear Christians saying that God is, they, they feel like God is punishing them for a sin that they have committed. But, but we need to hear this today. If you are a Christian, the punishment, the, the penalty for every sin that you will ever commit has been paid. The punishment for your sin, the judgment for your rebellion was leveled against the Lord Jesus Christ on your behalf. If you are in Christ today, you will never, hard stop, you will never experience any punishment or judgment from God. That was finished at the cross. So yes, God will absolutely bring discipline if we continue in sin. But whereas punishment is about the evil that was done being justly paid back, discipline, as the author of Hebrews says to us, it's an act of love. God uses it for our good, to preserve us, to sanctify us for our good. And all of this is a beautiful comfort for us, right? Like evils without, the, the enemies that, that encroach on us, our shepherd will, will beat back with his staff. And evils within, 
as we stray and, and we seek to go away from our Lord, he will correct with the staff, pulling us back in. God will not let his sheep be lost. He is jealous to guard each one of you, and he will ensure that you will be kept for him. I can't leave the shepherd metaphor this morning without all of us turning to actually see its fullness. In Ezekiel chapter 34, God condemned the leaders of Israel as awful shepherds. And after listing all the ways that they had failed the people of Israel, this is what God says. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely, because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. And then skipping down a little bit to verse 22, he says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And here's your key verse. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. And when he's talking about David here, he's, he's talking about the fulfillment of a promise that he made to David. And so then in John chapter 10, when the Lord Jesus stands before a crowd and says these words, they knew exactly what he was talking about. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He's talking about the fold of Israel. And I must bring them also. That's you, Gentile Christians, who have been brought into this fold. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus came as the good shepherd. The one who was not only willing to die for his sheep, but who actually did. He died to purchase the flock and then would rise from the dead to shepherd them on to eternity. And so we must ask this morning, you must ask this morning, are you truly one of his sheep? We have heard the beauty of how God shepherds his people, but his sheep are only those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. 
And so I just want to really briefly talk to two different groups here this morning. The first, and I'm sure you know who you are, are the unbelievers here. There, there are people in this room who are probably forced to be here for one reason or another, who maybe don't want to be here, who really are skeptical of pretty much everything that I have said so far. You need to hear and believe the gospel today. The realities of the Good Shepherd are for those who have come by faith in Jesus. It's freely offered and freely given. And the message of the gospel is this, that God created the world and everything in it. He created us as mankind to be in relationship with him. That God is loving and merciful. He's holy and just. And that we as mankind and you as an individual have rebelled against his righteous rules. You have sinned against him. You have turned away from God. And the penalty for your sin is eternal separation from him. But God in his grace sent the Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd of his sheep, to live the life of perfect obedience that you could never live, to die the death that you deserve to die as a penalty for your sin, and then to rise from the dead to defeat death once and for all. And he offers relationship with God, a right relationship with God, eternal life, and all of these benefits of God as a good shepherd through one thing, and that's faith in him. It's turning from your sin and putting your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. If you have not believed that message this morning, today is the day. You have heard it. You you must come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And the second group I want to just briefly talk to are Maybe some of the more, you might have heard the word nominal Christians. You know, those of you who have kind of always carried the title of Christian but have never taken it very seriously, realize how personal Psalm 23 is, right? David doesn't say, and his confidence is not grounded in the fact that, that Yahweh was his parents' shepherd or his spouse's shepherd or even his church's shepherd. All of his confidence was found in the fact that God was his shepherd. All of us this morning should take this opportunity to ask, have we truly come to Christ? Or do we love our sin and refuse to give it up? Do we refuse to draw near to him and obey his commands? Or or do we refuse to give up our endless strivings to try to justify ourselves before God by our own good works? But we must. Because if not, we are still one of the enemies that the Lord defends his sheep from with his rod. The Lord Jesus calls out. His sheep hear his voice. So hear it this morning and respond in faith. Be brought into the flock where all of the glorious realities that we have heard about today will be true for you. David shifts images in the last couple of verses of this psalm. So verses 5 and 6, we see that the Lord, he presents him like a host of a banquet. He writes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just two brief points this morning in these last couple of verses. The first one is that the Lord gladly welcomes his people. David is kind of building on some things that he's already said. 
He's already said that the Lord provides for all that he needs. And he's already talked about the defense from enemies, but now he's combining those images. The Lord prepares a table for his people in the presence of the enemies where all of them are there to see. They must look on and see God blessing the people that they hate. The Lord pays no mind to the accusations and objections of our enemies. Even our greatest enemy. The name Satan literally means accuser because that's what he does. He, he goes to God and he points at us and he goes, but, but don't you see, Daniel was just proud in that moment. He, he told a white lie. Oh, he didn't respond in love to this person. That's what Satan does. He accuses us before God. But for those who know Christ, the Lord Jesus stands at the right hand of God and goes, that's been paid for. That's been paid for. Not guilty. Not guilty. And the Lord all the while prepares a feast. He provides for us, even as our enemy Satan accuses us again and again in his presence. Nothing's going to stop him. The, the objections of our enemies does not phase God when he will provide for his people. And David also says that God anoints us with oil, which is definitely a weird phrase to our modern ears. Guests who were coming to a feast, they were the ones who were anointed with oil. The host would anoint them as they came in, as a welcome. And so we see that, that God richly welcomes us as he provides a feast of abundance. You know, Christian, God does not reluctantly welcome you. Right? Like, when you repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, it's not like God was up in heaven going, oh, I didn't, oh, I didn't think they were going to. Oh. He, he's not thinking that way. When you come to him, he welcomes you as a guest to his abundant banquet. There, there's no regret. There's no second guessing. He joyfully brings you in. He anoints you with oil and he ushers you to a table of abundance. It's who our God is. You are deeply known and deeply loved by this banquet host. And then finally, our lives, both now and to eternity, are secure. Those are the two pictures that David gives us in the final verse. In our earthly lives, he says that goodness and mercy are going to pursue us. Follow is a bit of a weak way of saying this. It's literally the same Hebrew word that you would use for enemies pursuing after you. This is a chase. This is them trying to hunt you down to kill you. And David is saying that it's not going to be his enemies who pursue him to death. It's going to be the goodness and mercy of God that are going to pursue him. This isn't passive following. This is active pursuit. It's like a shepherd hunting down his lost sheep. God's goodness and mercy are going to find us. We can't outrun the goodness and mercy of God. But we will not just experience his goodness during our life on this earth. We will go on to dwell with him forever. So David ends on, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In perfect peace. In perfect joy. God's not going to lose a sheep. Not one will be snatched away by a wolf. He will ensure that every one of his flock goes into eternity with him. So church, we have a good shepherd and we have a good host. And as we close this morning reflecting on these realities, I want us to hear the promise from the mouth of God himself. This is in the Old Testament as God was 
setting up his people for what he would do through the Lord Jesus. He gives the promise of the new covenant that Jesus would say at at the first uh, communion, at the first Lord's table, that he was instituting this new covenant with God's people. And in Jeremiah 31 and 32, we read about it. I just want to read three of the verses. Hear God's promise to you as one who has come to him through Jesus Christ. He says, they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. Church, rest confidently in who God is for you this morning. Whatever you are facing, whatever struggles you carried in with you this morning, his love is perfect, his mercy endless, his goodness to you ever pursuing, and no one can snatch you away from him. Let's pray. Father, what glorious truths to reflect on this morning. To see who you are for your people as this good shepherd. That you care for us so deeply. That that you fight for us, but that you draw us back when when we fail to be faithful to you. That, That you provide richly for us, even in spite of the accusations of those who would come against us. That we can confidently look forward to the day when we will be with you for eternity. Father, plant these truths deeply in our hearts this morning that whatever we face as your people, we can be grounded in the reality that you will not fail us, that you will not cease doing good to us, and that you will not withhold one good thing that we need. Father, we are your sheep. Shepherd us, we pray. Draw us to yourself. Grow us in our love for you, in our obedience to you, and teach us to trust as helpless little sheep who need the only true good shepherd. Amen.